Matthew 6, 25. This is the words of our Master Yeshua and receive them today as his words, even though we're so far removed from his ministry upon the earth. Yeshua says, This is why I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how the Almighty clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for the idolaters eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of Yahweh and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. May Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. Everybody worries about something. You can worry yourself to sickness. I, the other night I was watching the Andy Griffith show. That's my favorite show of all time. And I got to laughing right at the end because Andy told Barney that he didn't quite look well. And before you know it, Barney thought he was sick and calling the doctor and setting him up an appointment and checking his forehead. <laughs> but you can do that. I've heard talks and they say that science shows that you could have a desk job and you can have five different people tell you that you're not looking good today or you're pale and you'll start thinking that you're sick and you worry yourself to get sick to a point where you get sick. Um, but we're commanded here not to worry by Yeshua. He says, don't worry. I've never gone without and I don't think neither have most of us. I don't think that most of us living today Maybe there are some old-timers that do know what really hard times are like. But most of us, uh, my age and younger for sure, most of us don't know what hard times are. Um, we have very much more supply than we need, yet we still worry. It seems like the people that have less and live more simply worry the least. And us that have more than we need, we worry the most. Now this text here in Matthew 6, it might have been originally spoken to the personal disciples of Yeshua who left their life to literally follow him as an itinerant rabbi. Yeshua was one of many rabbis in the nation of Israel in the first century. And rabbis had disciples and the disciples would actually go and live where the rabbi would go and, and live. And as Matthew 10 and Luke 10 shows us that they would go into certain cities and towns and they would knock on doors and 
if it was a home of peace and they welcomed them in, they were allowed to eat and drink such things as the family gave them. And so Yahweh was actually supplying their, their needs as they left all that they had known to follow Rabbi Yeshua. Um, they didn't take with them an extra pair of sandals or an extra walking stick or a, a money purse or anything like that. And they were laborers for the gospel and, and laborers are worthy of their hire. So some texts are like that. Some texts are specific to a particular person or group of people. Um, but that does not mean that we can't learn from these, these texts. And it doesn't mean that none of this text applies to us. I think most of it does apply to us, even if it was written with the immediate disciples of Yeshua in view. I have seen a lot of worry due to this crisis um, that is in the world going on today. Some people are worried about the sickness. Some people are worried about the government. Other people are worried about all kinds of things. And so this lesson is very fitting for our current situation. I am not making light of anybody that is sick. I am not making light of anybody that is financially unstable. Uh, my prayers are for healing for your body if you're sick or if your loved one or friends or acquaintances are sick. And my prayers also go out to those who have lost their job or a car or a house or anything like that due to the current state of the world. So I'm not making light of any of that. I understand all of that is real. But I am saying that our text today, Matthew chapter 6, 25-34, is the remedy for worrying. Uh, we have the remedy if we're children of Yahweh because Yahweh is in control. He already knows the outcome. He's already got everything settled. And we, what we do is we say that we are supposed to take our burdens to Yahweh we say that we are not supposed to worry and let him do the job that only he can do. But yet we always peek around the door. We close the door. We, we, we give it to Yahweh. We shut the door. We walk out. And then a few minutes later, we peek in and check on Yahweh and make sure he's doing what we think that he ought to do. <laughs> That's human nature. A brother told me the other day the reason the scripture tells us not to fear is because we have a tendency to fear. And I believe that the reason the scripture tells us not to worry because we have a tendency to worry. But we're commanded not to worry. Matthew 6.25 again. This is why I tell you don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body. What you will wear isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing. He tells us not to even worry about our basic necessities. Food, clothing, though they are essential, there is more to this life. He says, don't worry. He does not say don't work or don't plan. Um, I don't want to take away from the force of the texts, do not worry. But we also need to make sure that we understand this is not a okay for laziness or slothfulness. One of the things that we should do in Bible study is take in all the data that the Bible has to show us on a subject and then seek harmony throughout all the text. For example, hold your finger in Matthew 6 and turn to Proverbs 6. And you can remember this because 6th chapter of Matthew, 6th chapter of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, I believe it is, verse 6. Yeah. Proverbs 6, verse 6. This is also in the scriptures. And it says, Go to the ant, you slacker. <laughs> Observe its ways and become wise. 
without leader, administrator, or ruler. It prepares its provisions in the summer. It gathers its food during the harvest. How long will you stay in bed, you slacker? When will you get up from your sleep? <laughs> a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, and your poverty will come like a robber, your need like a bandit. So Yahweh's saying, get up, slacker. Now Yahweh gives us one day in his law to fully rest, and that is a day, man, I mean, I've been napping all day, been studying, reading the Bible, going, taking another nap, a little bit of lunch, took another nap, studied a little bit more of the scriptures, got ready for the service today. So he gives us this day to rest, but, but he also gives us six days, shalt thou labor and do all thy work, right? So the scripture says, do not worry, but the scripture also says, go to the ant, you slacker, consider its ways and be wise. So it stores up, it, it, it works, the ant works. So we have to harmonize. So Yeshua is not telling us don't work or don't plan. My dad used to tell me if you fail to plan, son, you plan to fail. And it's so true. It's become more and more true the older that I get. The Bible says don't worry, but the Bible also says go to the end. So we have to seek the harmony there. All right, so let's continue to go on here in our text, Matthew 6, 26. Verse 26, look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? So the birds don't sow or reap. They don't plant a garden or reap the garden, but they aren't idle. Once again, there's a harmony. They're not idle. You see birds, they fly around. They collect the provisions that Yahweh has graciously given them in his nature. Uh, Martin Luther said uh, on this text, God provides food for the birds, but he does not drop it into their beaks. <laughs> so, you know, we can sit on the couch and we can say, I'm not worried Yahweh's going to take care of me, but if we don't get up off of our couch and go to work as Yahweh has told us to do, then you know what? You're probably not going to be taken care of. Um, Yahweh takes care of us, but he gives us the ability and the means to fulfill uh, what he has promised us to do. Um, Yahweh feeds the birds. Yahweh feeds the birds. And Yahweh is the one that feeds us. That's why I've always taught my children that Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says, when you've eaten and are full, do not forget to bless Yahweh. Um, we don't ever want to forget where our provision comes from. It is, it is Almighty Yahweh. You say, well, Dad went out and worked for the money to pay for the food. Mom cooked the food. Yes, but Yahweh is the one that gave us the ability to work and to cook and to have the finances to afford the food or to grow it in our garden or to raise it on our pasture. Yahweh is the one that has given us all those abilities and Yahweh is the one that feeds us. And the, at the end, Yeshua says, aren't you worth more than they? We are worth more than the birds. That doesn't mean the birds aren't worth anything. The birds are a creation of Yahweh. Yahweh loves all of his creation. But the human being is the crowning act of creation. Um, Yahweh made man on the sixth day as the crowning act, the finality there of all the creative work and activity that he had done. And we are more important to Yahweh than even the birds. Look at verse 27. Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? Uh, adding a cubit to your height, a cubit is a, the, about the space from your, your elbow or your inner arm to your hand, roughly 18 inches on average. And literally, this is saying, can you add 
that cubit to your height, can you add 18 inches to your height? So I'm, I'm, I'm six foot three, so if I added 18 inches, I'd be almost eight foot tall. So this is a Hebrew idiom. Um, uh, Matthew, we're, we're reading an uh, English text of Matthew that was taken from a Greek manuscript, but it's a Hebraic idiom or understanding of cubit to height, mean, meaning can you by worrying lengthen your life? Um, no, not many people are worried about their height. You say, Brother Matthew, I'm worried about my height. I'm short. Well, most people don't worry themselves to death about their height. But what we do worry ourselves about is how long are we going to live? And this is an idiom where Yeshua is saying, if you worry, are you able to lengthen your lifespan at all? Um, worrying does not add anything to the situation. My wife has taught me this over the years in our finances. It seems like I'm the one that is more prone to worry if I don't feel like our needs are being met or if the bills are being paid fast enough. And sometimes I have a tendency to get down and discouraged about that. And my wife has said, Yahweh, don't worry, Matthew. Yahweh will provide. And she's basically echoing Yeshua right here. She's just repeating what Yeshua said. Don't worry. Yahweh will provide. And you know what? He's always provided he always has. So, 27, we can't add anything by worrying and add anything to our life. So we shouldn't do it. Verses 28 through 29. And why do you worry about your clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. Clothes. Why do you worry about your clothes? Man, we've got more clothes than we can shake a stick at nowadays. You know, I don't have a whole lot of clothes, I guess, by some people's standards. But by other people's standards, I'm probably a very wealthy man with the clothes that I have. Um, John the Baptizer taught us, I think it's in Luke chapter 3, when there were people coming to the Jordan River confessing their sins and receiving John's baptism of repentance. One of the things he told them when they said, what, do, what ought we to do, is he said, if you have two tunics... Give one of them away. And I'll tell you, I have way more than two tunics. And, you know, I read that, and I've preached on that text before, and it's always convicting to me. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm going to talk about giving to the poor here momentarily because it actually ties into this message. Okay. So, wildflowers. I think the KJV says lilies of the field. Consider the lilies, I think. Wildflowers is probably a better translation. It's talking about flowers that grow of their own accord. When I was putting my notes together, I thought about how that I have seen my daughters stop on the side of the road randomly because there's a beautiful field of wildflowers growing out there. And they say, this is a great place for us to take some pictures for Instagram, right? And so they do that. And because the, the, the flowers are such a beautiful backdrop, and they're gorgeous. And not even Solomon, as rich as Solomon was. Solomon was one of the, probably one of the richest men to ever live, even to, to, to this day. And Solomon was not arrayed in all of the splendor of the wildflowers. And Yeshua says that the wildflowers, they do not labor or spin thread. They don't make their clothes, but look how beautiful they are. And then in verse 30, it says, If that's how Yahweh clothes the grass of the field, which is a reference back to the wildflowers that grow, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, because a lot of times uh, grass, 
flowers, once they die, they were used uh, as fuel for a fire. Won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? How much more are you worth than the wildflowers and the birds? You of little faith. Anytime that we worry ourselves sick over something that's going on in the world or something going on in our family or something going on in our finances, anytime we worry what it is, is a lack of trust in Yahweh. It's a lack of trust in Yahweh. It's a lack of confidence. Faith means we have confidence and trust in Yahweh's ability to see us through a situation, to get us to the other side. And anytime we, we worry more than we pray, or we worry more than we read the Bible, or we worry more than we sing praise songs to Yahweh, and thank him for his goodness and put it in his hands completely and totally, we're exhibiting a lack of confidence and a lack of trust in Yahweh. I think about my children when they were little, and I remember taking them to the park. We had season passes to Stone Mountain for many years when all my children were little, and I remember sometimes I'd put, up, put them up on a rock, and they would want to jump off of the rock into my arms, and they would not ever second-guess Daddy. They had complete confidence in me or they would jump off of this three, four foot tall rock, little bitty two-year-olds and three-year-olds, and they knew that daddy was going to catch them. And sometimes I'd say I was a little worried because they would do it, jump, climb up and jump off so fast that I'd always grab a hold to them and I'd grab them. And they had confidence in me as their father. And that's the kind of confidence, that childlike faith, that's the kind of confidence that Yahweh wants us to exhibit in him. You know, my children had confidence in me, and I'm just a human being, a frail human being. Yahweh is the creator of the universe. He hung the moon and the stars. He caused a virgin to conceive, an old woman to conceive. Oh, you have little faith. He clothes the wildflowers. He takes care of the birds. How much more are you worth, you, son or daughter? How much more are you worth to Yahweh than those things? The implication is a lot. You're worth a lot more. You're worth more than the flowers. You're worth more than the birds of the, of the field. The birds of the air and the flowers of the field. Excuse me. Your heavenly Father will supply you of your needs. Anytime we're consumed with worry, we're not trusting in Yahweh's power. So therefore, he tells us in verses 31 through 32, so don't worry. He comes full circle back around. So don't worry saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the idolaters, literally that's the Gentiles, um, heathens. Uh, the word Gentiles is often used in the Bible as people that are outside of the covenant of Yahweh. They're, they're non-believers. They don't, they don't worship Yahweh. He says that's how the heathens live. The idolaters eagerly seek after all of those things. We're supposed to be different, Yeshua is saying. Don't worry about all this stuff. Stop your worrying. The Father knows what you have need of. He says that in verse 32, and your heavenly Father knows that you need it. He knows that you need food. He knows that you need water. He knows you need shelter. He knows you need shoes on your feet. He already knows that you need them, and you're his, his child. You're his servant. So why do you worry? He already knows. It reminds me of a few verses earlier in the same chapter where he teaches us to pray, and it's like, People don't take heed to what he taught us to pray. He says, when you pray, he said, you don't have to pray a long prayer. You don't have to use big words. And you don't have to babble on like the idolaters because they think they're going to be heard because they speak a lot. 
But when you pray, pray like this. And then he teaches us the Lord's Prayer. It's the best prayer ever to be prayed. And I don't just think it's a model prayer. I think it's a prayer that we ought to repeat the words that Yeshua taught us to pray. And he says the reason we pray like that is because our Father knows what we need before we ever bow our head or take our knee to pray. He already knows. And Yahweh knows the daily provisions, the material provisions that you need ahead of time. So why do we worry? Verse 33. This is what we should do. But, in other words, this is the contrast. Don't worry, but do this. But seek first the kingdom of Yahweh and his righteousness and all these things, the material provisions, the material things, will be provided for you. Seek the kingdom of Yahweh and his righteousness. Together, what that equals is basically Yahweh's standard for how to live your life. Well, when it's talking about his righteousness, basically, in a nutshell, it's talking about his standard of living, his teachings and instructions, his law. That's what we are to be seeking. We read the law, the commandments, we seek that first, primarily. I think the word first here means that's our primary. That's what we seek first and foremost up at the top. It could mean first in order. I think, and I this is something I practice in my life, I seek Yahweh first in order every day when I awake. I wake up, make myself some water, some hot tea, and I go to the Bible. And I'm, a lot of times I pray the Lord's Prayer, then I'll start reading the Bible and studying the Bible. And I'll do that, you know, sometimes for... An hour, sometimes for three hours if I wake up early. And that doesn't mean that every every day that I have just goes smoothly. You have some people say, well, your days always go smooth. No, it doesn't mean that. I, you may still have a flat tire. You could seek Yahweh in prayer for three hours one morning, and you might still have a flat tire when you go out to crank up the car. Okay? That's life. All right? So life isn't all peaches and cream, and, and that's okay. A lot of people don't understand that in the religious world, but... but um, you seek the kingdom first. I think it means primary. That's your goal, number one, first and foremost in your life. If you're a child of Yahweh, everything that you do ought to be centered around Yahweh and his commandments. You should not make any decisions apart from Yahweh and his commandments. You should not seek for anything financially apart from Yahweh and his commandments. You should not make any decisions about your children apart from Yahweh and his commandments, about your marriage apart from Yahweh and his commandments, your friends, your family, what you're going to do, where you're going to go, who you're going to hang out with. All of that has to center around Yahweh and his commandments. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All his commandments are righteous and just, Psalm 119 says. That's what we ought to be seeking. and Everything else will be provided for us, he will take care of us because if we're seeking his commandments, that means we've read that verse about consider the ant, you slacker. We've read the verse, do not worry. And so those are part of, of his righteousness. And so therefore, we don't have to worry. We go to work and we know Yahweh's going to take care of me. If I didn't make much today, don't worry. It'll, it'll, it'll be caught up at a later time. If I didn't get to go to work today or if I went in the hole today or if I got sick or if I hurt myself, it's okay. Father knows what I have need of before I even ask. Father knows that I need food on my table, shoes on my feet, a roof over my head. Father knows I've got to pay this much rent. Father knows I've got to get a car. Father knows I need this. Father knows I need that. But do we seek him first? See, that is the key. 
And I want you to ask yourself this personally. Don't think about other people that you know. Ask yourself, am I putting Yahweh first? Am I seeking Yahweh's righteousness first? That is a question that you have to ask yourself. And if your heart condemns you, Yahweh's greater than your heart. Don't lie because Yahweh knows your heart. See? If you seek his kingdom first, he'll take care of you. He will take care of you. That doesn't always mean you're going to get everything that you want. Sometimes Yahweh does give us things that we want. But that's not what this is talking about. This is our provisional needs, what we need for life. Seek his kingdom first. Verse 34 ends, Therefore don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Live in the now. Live each day in the now. Always take time to do what you're doing right then. Um, sometimes we get in so much of a hurry that we don't even have time to talk with our neighbor. We don't even have time to stop what we're doing. I'll never forget, I once owned a house in the Amish community. I owned a 27-acre farm. And part of me would like it if I still own that farm. <laughs> but I believe Yahweh didn't let me move because he had other plans for me here where I'm at now. Be that as it may, um, I was working one day uh, chopping wood for the wood stove and wood heater that we had in the house. And there was a man that came by the house. And I can't remember his last name, but his first name was Dennis. And he was kind of, uh, he wasn't full-fledged Amish, but he wasn't not Amish either. <laughs> so he was kind of somewhere right in the middle. And um, had a big gray beard. And he came by the house and was right in the middle of the work day, you know. And he said, hey, what are you doing? And I said, hey, I'm just out here chopping some wood. And, and he said, well, man, it's nice to see you. And we ended up going inside and we sat down at the table and made us, ourselves some glasses of water. And we sat there and we talked for two hours. Two solid hours. Some about the Bible, some about life, some about work. But we sat there and we fellowshiped, neighborly fellowship, for two hours. I wasn't worried about chopping the wood. He wasn't worried about getting in a hurry going somewhere. We stopped what we were doing and we loved our neighbor and had that communion with one another. My goodness, you know, it's gotten now to where, you know, people just, they just, we're too busy for people. We're too busy for what matters the most is people, not things, but people. Now, I want to go from here where he tells us in verse 34. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Live in the now. Take your time. Do your thing. Don't worry. And the reason I bring this up about neighborly communication is the parallel text in Luke 12. Luke chapter 12. If you turn there. This is the exact same account written by another author. Luke 12 verses 22 through 34 is basically a re reiteration of what we have just went over. But I want to read verses 31 through 34. Luke 12, 31 through 34 because there is an addition here that Luke gives 
that is not recorded in Matthew's account. That's why when we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the synoptic gospel. Synoptic basically means to see with one eye. And that is because Matthew, Mark, and Luke record a lot of the same accounts and events. But because they're different people, some of them are more detailed on certain accounts. Some of them are less detailed. Um, when Yahweh inspired his scriptures, he didn't bypass the intellect and ability of the authors of scripture. He used their individual gifts, talents, and wisdom to write what they, what they wrote from different angles, different points of view. So, Brother Luke, Dr. Luke, he was a physician. Dr. Luke tells us in Luke 12, verse 31 through 34, this is recording the words of Yeshua. He says, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. And this is the verse that stood out to me so strong this week as I was studying. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I wrote a note in my Bible that says, we don't take this seriously enough. I connected these together this week. And verse 33 stood out to me. We normally think selling our possessions and giving the money to the poor is a statement that was only made to the rich young ruler. You know, y'all know the rich young ruler that came to Yeshua and said, I've kept all the commandments. And Yeshua says, you lack one, sell all that you have, give to the poor, come follow me and you'll have great treasure in heaven. So we associate selling our possessions. That's something Yeshua told the rich young ruler. We don't need to worry about that. But here, it is taught to all who are listening. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Yeshua sat down on the mount in the grass and taught the multitude. And he says here in this sermon, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. Now what most ministers do here is and what I had the inclination to do <laughs> is to immediately lift the weight of this text and say, well, this is what it doesn't mean before I tell you what it does mean. Now, don't take the Yeshua too literally, we'll say. You know, he's not saying, he's not literally saying to sell your possessions and give to the poor. Well, that's immediately what most ministers do. That's what I had the inclination to do myself. Um, but before I balance this, I want to take it literally. Yeshua tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, sell your possessions and give it to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. What kind of money bags are those? Those are heavenly money bags, brothers and sisters. Those money bags don't wear out. A thief cannot come near and take away the treasure that you have stored up in heaven a moth can't corrupt it. You don't have to have heavenly mothballs to keep the moths out of your heavenly treasure. Those money bags won't grow old. It's an inexhaustible treasure in heaven. Things don't have real value. People have real value. Helping others is what matters most. Now, early followers of Yeshua took Yeshua's word quite literally. Now, I'm going to show you that there were some people that took Yeshua's word literally and did just this. Turn, hold your finger in Luke 12 and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to read a, a couple of verses there and then we're going to go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 2, 
verses 41 through 45. It says, So those who accepted his message, this is Apostle Peter's message on the day of Pentecost, which was an Old Testament feast day that Peter and the apostles were still celebrating here in Acts chapter 2. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles, that is, the direct apostles of Yeshua. 44. Now all the believers were together and had everything in common. So they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. A lot of people read that today and say, that sounds like a compound. I remember I had a guy tell me, I was part of a compound one time. He said, oh, you live over there on that compound. And I laughed. And, I, and uh, he tried to backtrack. I said, oh, well, you know, compound really ain't a bad word. You know, he tried to backtrack. Brother TJ was with me when he said that. God told us that. But people would read this and say, oh, that, 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 you know, that sounds, that sounds too strange. But these are the earliest, the earliest followers of Yeshua. The, the Jerusalem congregation where they're at. They're here in Jerusalem for the feast. They sold their possessions and their property and they distributed all that money to each as each person had need. The apostles would do this. Now, turn from here to Acts chapter 4, 32 through 36. Acts 4, 32 says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of his possessions was his own. Oh, Brother Matthew, that's too radical. <laughs> yeah, it's radical. That's why we don't want to accept it. You know, even even myself. Now, I'm not saying that it's commanded what, what they're doing, but Yeshua did say, sell your possessions and give to the poor. No one said that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Master Yeshua, and great grace was on all of them, for there was not a needy person among them because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as anyone had a need. Joseph, a Levite and a Cypriot by birth, whom the apostles named Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, he sold a field that he owned, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, there were some listeners to Yeshua's words in Luke chapter 12 when he said, sell your possessions and give it to the poor and make for yourselves money bags that will not grow old. They took him literally. I was very convicted this week. When I read Luke 12, 33, and I've read the Gospel of Luke so many times, but you know how sometimes you go back and you read a verse and boom, it jumps off the page at you? was very convicted and it made me want to sell something that I own, not just that I own, but I own and love in order to help the poor. This isn't talking about, you know, well, I got a couple of riches that I can't wear anymore and they got holes in them, so maybe I'll give them to the poor. That's, you know, give people your secondhand, secondhand stuff. That's like taking the Yahweh lame sacrifice. This is talking about selling something that you love and that is, that is precious to you, a possession. Joseph, the Levite, sold a field that he owned. People were selling their belongings, bringing the money to the apostles. Very convicting to me. 
Things are not what has real value. People have real value. And this makes me want, and I've got to, I've got to pray and ask Yahweh what he would exactly have me to do here, but it makes me want to sell something that I, that I, that's mine and take the money and go feed some orphans or a widow or just a poor family and give it to them. The key is, is our real treasure is in heaven. So why do we spend so much time accumulating stuff on the earth and placing our Bible study and our almsgiving second place or third place? You know why? Because we really don't believe our treasure is in heaven. That's why. We spend so much time worrying about earthly things because we think that our treasure is here on the earth. And, you know, I mean... I've known a few people that have made it to 100 years old, but generally, between the ages of 70 to 100, that's it for us. 40 times 2 is 80. If I make it to 80 years old, Yahweh be magnified and praised. I think I'll be doing pretty good. My, my granddaddy just uh, fell asleep or, or passed away not long ago, and he was 77. Life is a vapor. And we chase and we chase and we chase after everything on the earth. We accumulate and accumulate after everything on the earth and then it's over with. And if we're a believer, then we believe that we're going to live forever in the kingdom. That's where the true treasure is. That's why the people in Acts sold what they had. And they weren't worried about it because they knew I'm not going to be here long. I'm going to live forever in the kingdom. I want, to, I, want to, I want to invest in a money bag that's not going to grow old. Man, that's convicting. We spend so much time accumulating because we don't really believe that our treasure is in heaven. We don't really believe that. Heavenly money bags will not grow old. Earthly ones will. Heavenly treasure cannot be stolen. Earthly treasure can. And... Our parallel text in Luke 12 to Matthew chapter 6 teaches us that part of the don't worry message includes giving away your wealth to others. Find somebody that is poor. Find a widow or an orphan or a poor family. Somebody that's lost their job. Somebody that's about to lose their car. And you give generously to them during this time. I think that's a great way for us to begin to obey this sell your possessions and give to the poor. All of Scripture must be harmonized. It is okay to be rich in this world. It is not a sin to be rich. It's not a sin to have things. We can see that time and time again. Abraham was rich in cattle and silver and in gold. None of that is a sin, but we have to bring a balance to it. We cannot be so engrossed in our earthly possessions that we're not able to give them away to somebody that needs them way more than we do. What that means is we're not worried. We're not, we don't have anxiety. 